Good morning to all of you. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, and we have air conditioning. Um, <clears throat> I am Pastor Tim. Um, for those of you that might be visiting, I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church, and I'm preaching this morning because Pastor John, our senior pastor, and his wife Shelly are on vacation. And so I'm going to, I have the opportunity to share with you actually this week and next week. Um, I'm going to share some very personal messages with you. This is not a typical type sermon that I would do. I'm going to share some very personal things with you. Um, I came up with the idea for these sermons as I was thinking um, about what I would share on this weekend and uh, next. And I actually got the idea on March the 18th because uh, it was on March the 18th that we had our men's three-on-three basketball tournament. Uh, I was asked to share that morning and shared for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. It was very quick. And I remember thinking, I'd like to take that and expand it and make it into a sermon, which is what you're going to hear here today. And as I look around the room, I see a few people that were in that um, tournament that morning, that three-on-three tournament. And I just want you to know that I have added a bunch of new stuff and um, so I think you're going to hear some similar stuff, but I th I'm hoping that you will be challenged by the new stuff, and I hope the rest of you will be challenged on this day. I'm going I'm to set the stage like I did for that, during that basketball tournament, because I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to know, it's, it, for some people, it's a little bit strange. I'm hoping you'll just go with me on it for a moment. What I'm going to have you do in just a minute is I'm going to have you kind of, you know, sit up in your seats, kind of set things in your lap or off to the side, just kind of take a moment to, to relax, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, actually, the first question has already been made known to you, but I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you to think about it. And then I'm going to ask some follow-up and say a little something and ask some follow-up questions, and you'll keep your eyes closed during that time, and then I will tell you when to open your eyes back up. So I hope you'll, be, hope you'll go with me on that. So I'm going to ask you at this point to um, go ahead and close your eyes. Take a deep breath. I want to give you the opportunity to think for a moment. And don't think about other people. This is for you. The question is, what defines you? What defines you? If you look up the word define in the dictionary, it'll say that define is a statement expressing the essential nature of something. What defines you? What's your essential nature? It says it's the action or power of describing, explaining, and making definite and clear. What defines you? What describes you? What explains you? What makes you definite and clear to other people? Now, as you think about that, I would ask some follow-up questions. Is it your, is it, does your job define you? Maybe you're into athletics. Or maybe you're a fan of a particular sports team. Does that define you? Does that tell people who you are? Is it your life principles? Is it your personality, maybe? Does your personality define you? Maybe it's your moods. Sometimes people are known as being grumpy or a complainer. Does that define you? Is it where you live? Does that play a role in, in defining you? 
Do friends play a role in defining you? Does age have anything to do with it? <clears throat> Does what you think about yourself define you? Or are you defined by what others think about you? You can go ahead and open your eyes. I'm going to explore that topic today with you. I'm hoping it will be a time for you to evaluate maybe and to give you some visual aids to help you to think a bit about that. What do you think of, for example, when you think of Adam and Eve, the very first couple? When you hear their name, do you think of the, maybe the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Maybe you think about sin? Maybe you think about the serpent? What comes to your mind? What about when we mention King, King David? What do you think of when you think of King David? Do you think of David and Goliath? Do you think of David and Bathsheba? Maybe you think about his family. He had kind of a, kind of a crummy family. Or maybe you think about King David, maybe what comes to your mind is he is called a man after God's own heart. Those are some biblical characters, but let's take it a little closer to home. What do you think of when you think of Mel Gibson? Do you think of Braveheart? Do you think of the Patriot, the Passion of the Christ, Lethal Weapon? Maybe you think about his very visible divorce from his, from his wife and large family. What do you think of when you... What do you think of when you think of Donald Trump? You're fired, drain the swamp, make America great again. Maybe you think about his personal life. It's not advancing again, you guys. Maybe you think about his personal life and the many people he's been married to. And I could come up with a whole bunch of names that would be familiar to some of you. Um, what about Elizabeth Warren? What do you think of when her name is mentioned? Mike Pence. What about Kim Jong-un? What about Bill O'Reilly? James Comey? Vladimir Putin? What would people think about you if I threw your name out or put your name on the screen? What would they think about you? I think it's a good question that we ought to all be asking all the time. I read an article as I was thinking through this, and the article is from familiesofcharacter.com, and this is what, the, what was written. Listen to what it says. All right, you can read it now. I often find it hard to simply disconnect from the business of my life when there are constant distractions such as work responsibilities, social media, obligations to my family and friends, and a million other things pulling me in every direction imaginable. It seems as though I finish one thing and before I can say, just give me one second, there's another task waiting for my attention. While the commitments in my life are important, just as I'm sure yours are to you, I think it is important every once in a while to take a step back separate ourselves from the business of lives and just sit in silence. I have found the most clarity, peace, and happiness in those moments of silence when I have the opportunity to take a self-inventory of my current status in life. When I can look really deep inside and ask myself, what defines me? Do these qualities inspire good? Am I a good role model, not only for my children, 
but for everyone I come in contact with, am I on the right path? Or are, these, or are there things that have taken me off my path? What are those things that have moved me in the wrong direction? What do I need to do or change moving forward? What defines you? I'm hoping you will kind of take a moment to think about that this morning. And this is a different, kind of a different message for me because I really prefer to put a text out and then preach through the text. But today, because it's topical, I'm going to kind of dance all over the place. But I want to take a moment, I want to take a moment to lay a little bit of a biblical foundation of where we're going. I want to share a variety of scriptures with you. Now, I'm not going to exegete the, all these scriptures completely. I just want to make a few comments about them to get you thinking in the direction that I think the Lord wants us to go this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no, long, no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And there's a lot in that passage, but generally what I want you to catch is that when someone gives their life to Christ, they are a new creation. They are a new person. In, in biblical lingo, we use the term reborn. And we get that from John 3, 3, where Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. We are a new creation. We are a new person. 1 John 3, 9, adding to this idea, says no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. And what I want to point out there is the word seed, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, but the Greek word is sperma, where we get the word sperm, the seed of the man, the seed of God, the Holy Spirit. When someone gives their life to Christ, they are a new creation. They have been reborn. And the and the Holy Spirit is placed within them. And I should point out is it doesn't say we won't sin from time to time. It, it says we won't go on sinning because the Holy Spirit who lives within us will make us aware of that. And it says we can't go on sinning. We'll want to get away from it. Luke 9, 23 to 25 says, then he said to them, and that's Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man or woman to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Sermons have been preached on this passage, and there's so much that could be said here. But I want to point out that I, some, I think sometimes we misinterpret this passage because we, we think of the, the carrying the cross and we, we think of it in terms of like something we, we have to do. It's something that's been given to us. It's a trial. It's, it's a tribulation. I, it's just the cross I've got to bear. I don't think that means, I don't think that, means that at all. What I, what I want to point out to you is it's a picture of crucifixion and specifically the crucifixion of Jesus. And you will remember that Jesus took, they made him take his cross and drag it through town. And you remember he couldn't, 
He couldn't do it. At one point, someone had to help him. It was, a, it was how they humiliated people. And then the cross would be taken through town and up onto the hill where you would be crucified. And there was one thing that we miss, one thing that everybody knew was true. When, some, when the person who was carrying their cross through town, what everybody would know, and we knew it about Jesus, he was never coming back because he was going to die. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, our old self is gone. We are a new creation. We are a new person. We are crucified with Christ, if you will. And then it goes, then Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power, you being those who have given their life to Christ, those who are new creation, those who have the seed of Christ within them, those who are a new person. You have been you will be given power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And what I, what I want to point out to you, I know many of you are very savvy and you know the word. I'm sure you've heard it before. The word for power there is dunamos, where we get the word dynamite. It's a reference to great power. When someone gives their life to Christ and becomes a new creation in Christ and the seed of God, the Holy Spirit is put within them. It's put within them so that the Holy Spirit will then guide us so that we can be witnesses to a world who doesn't believe in God that they might know that Jesus is Lord and be saved as well. And then finally, one of my favorite passages, it's actually... Part of it was, is written on the wall in my home. It is Joshua 24, 14 to 15. It says, now fear the Lord. This is Joshua after the conquest. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your, fathers, your, your forefathers worshiped beyond the river in, in, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my Lord, we will serve the Lord. And I point that out to you because whether you are a new creation in Christ or not, one of the things God gives you is the freedom to choose and every day you make choices to live for the Lord or not. And how you live your life will define who you are. So with that in mind, I want to share with you three areas of life that I think define us. And I'm going to share with you some personal stories about how I came up with these particular um, areas of life. You can be defined, the first one, you can be defined by your environment, and your influences. I'm just putting both together. Growing up, I, I, I grew up in an unbelieving home. It was actually a very dysfunctional home, as you will find out in a moment. I didn't think it was dysfunctional because I just thought everybody lived that way. You know, you just, it's just what you're used to. Um, my mom took us to church, um, although it's not like I come to church today. I didn't want to go. It was, it was more like a duty, if you will. I, I don't remember, I, I don't want to mischaracterize the church, I, but I, I don't remember hearing about Jesus. I don't remember about hearing about the cross or salvation or any of that. Maybe that was there and I was just blinded to it, but I never saw any of that. But, but for us, um, my life at church was just something you did on Sundays. 
In the midst of that, my dad was an alcoholic, and I would say he was a mean drunk. I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to, to be mean as I say that. I'm trying to be clear, trying to be descriptive. He was a mean drunk. And you've probably been around people who drink. They, are reacted, they react to it in different ways. Some are really happy and funny. Some are, do dumb things because their inhibitions are down. And some, like my dad, was mean. He just got mean. And everything revolved around whether, around the clock actually, whether or not when he, when he was going to come home. Make no mistake, we all knew on a, on a weekday, if he would be home by, by 5 o'clock, it was going to be an okay evening. It would mean he came home sober. Now, he would drink in the evening, but it wouldn't be quite as bad. But if that clock clicked one minute past 5, we all knew what was going to happen. He had stopped at the bar on the way home, and he was going to be drunk, and he was going to be mean. And everything revolved around that. I can remember as a, as a young kid, my sister hiding me and my brother in the closet because we were so afraid of him. We thought he was going to harm us. This is why, by the way, I have such a strong opinion on alcohol and substance abuse, and I'll say more about that in a moment. I don't know if it should or not, but it defined me. Everything revolved around that, and it defined who I was. I remember when I was in, I think it was maybe seventh grade, sixth grade, right in there, my dad got arrested for drunk driving. You know, back in those days, it was called drunk driving. We soften it now, and we call it a DUI. But back then, it was drunk driving. And if you got picked up for drunk driving, you were put in jail overnight. And then there was one thing that happened that many of you can't even relate to unless you're in my age bracket. It was printed in the newspaper. The next morning, if you got picked up for drunk driving, your name was put in the newspaper for being picked up for drunk driving. And everybody read the newspaper or their parents read the newspaper and they talked about it. And I was mortified by it. And I remember going to school the morning after my dad had been picked up for drunk driving and my friends saying, hey, your dad got picked up by drunk for drunk driving. Ha, 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 ha. I was mortified. I never had friends to the house because I was too afraid that my dad would embarrass us or would do something that would just be terrible. You know how kids are. I never went to other kids. I never went to my friend's house, although I was, I was um, invited from time to time, but I would never go. And, I, and the reason why, I've just begun sharing this. I, haven't, I didn't share it uh, for years. And the reason I wouldn't go to my friend's house was because I wet the bed. I wet the bed till I was 17 years old. I was the starting sinner on the football team and still wetting the bed. By the way, this is why we need to be so careful because we don't know what is going on in people's lives. And I understand the psychology of it now, but I didn't understand it back then. I wouldn't want anybody to have known that. And everything revolved around him. I cannot tell you I would not tell you the mean, horrible, crude things that he said to me. 
I was like a whipped dog. And I have learned that people and your environment affect us. As a child, I couldn't change my home life, but I, I vowed that I would never be like him. I wanted to break the cycle. And I want to take just a little bit of a side street here. And if you are a parent, I, need, I want to talk to you. Parents, you should be the example in the home. And you should create an environment in your home where your kids feel safe. Dads, you need to understand. I remember what it was like to hear my mom and dad fighting. And dads, you just need to know that when you're putting down your wife, you're putting down your children's mom. And they may not ever say anything to you, but it hurts them. And moms, when you're yelling at your, at your husband and you're putting your husband down, you need to understand something. You are putting down your children's dad and it hurts them. Sometimes I feel like parents, we, sometimes they act like junior high students. I want to put them over my knee and spank them. But, but we're adults. Your kids listen to you. They know what's going on. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 5 to 6. He said, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. As I have gotten older, I have seen the importance and power of influences in the lives of people. This is why we should pay attention to what the Word says on this. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with dark? Now, we misinterpret that scripture because we think that means we need to stay away from unbelievers. Remember, we have been given the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the unbelieving world. So we need to be around unbelievers. But when it says not to be yoked with unbelievers, what it's talking about is we don't take advice, we don't take input, we don't let them put into our life as to how we should live. We are to put into their life. We should take advice, help. Um, we should be influenced by, by godly people. We should take very seriously 1 Corinthians 15, which in the NIV says, do not be misled, which is a little soft in my opinion. That it, I think it should be interpreted as some uh, versions do that it says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And remember that deceived by design, if you are deceived, you don't know it. So it's strong language. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. This is why we need to pay attention to the influences in our lives and in our children's lives. We want to be out in the world, but not of the world. This is why the church is so very, very important. I never, almost never, I don't, maybe never have I preached a sermon without sharing this passage. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on 
towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be in church around the community of believers. And I fear that the some who are not giving up, who give up meeting together, I feel like the some is becoming more people. Godly people make church and their relationship with the Lord just kind of a, a, a sideline to their life. Influences and in people can define us in good ways or bad ways. The second thing is we, are, we can be defined by what we do. We can be defined by what we do. As I told you, I was in a, a very dysfunctional home and, and I found, you know, I, I got involved in athletics and I found that I could escape the home through athletics. At some point, I realized that I had some athletic ability and this gave me an outlet from my dysfunctional home. In high school, as I already told you, I was the the starting center on the, on the football team. I was the top men's player on the tennis team. I dabbled with wrestling and baseball. And by the way, I'm not telling you I was the top player in the starting center to impress you. Bear with me for a moment. I'm trying to make a point. After high school, I went in, I got, after I went into marriage, I played on a traveling softball team all over the, the state. Um, I took up racquetball, as many of you know, and you've heard this story. I placed third in the state in both singles and doubles. I, was, I got pretty good at it. And again, I'm not trying to brag. What I'm trying to do is make the point. Because of all these athletics, I had all these trophies in our home. The, the mantle and all around the home were all these trophies. I used to look at those trophies and think, wow, I'm pretty good. But I would ask you, what happens when it all goes away? Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart as well. My heart, what I'm telling you, my heart got into something that wouldn't last. What happens when it all goes away? When I was first married, I worked for a supermarket in Tulare, Superway. Everything centered around that market. I worked on weekends. I worked on nights. My family didn't see me. Where's that, where's that market today? It's gone. The building was torn down. I went to work for Coca-Cola from, from that market, and I remember very clearly going to work for Coca-Cola as a route driver. I remember my boss one day in a staff meeting, Jim was his name, and he looked at us, trying to encourage us to um, sell more, and he looked at us and he said, hey, you guys need to get out there and sell. You need to understand something. Coca-Cola is your life. Everything you have is because of Coca-Cola. Where where's Coca-Cola today? That plant, I mean. Jim got fired. I feel sorry for him, but, but it wasn't true is what I'm trying to tell you. What happened to the, where's all the trophies? Who gives a rip? They got thrown away after I became a believer. I realized how dumb it was. So the trophies got thrown away and what happens to the body? What happens when your body begins to break down? 
I can't, I've had so many surgeries, wrist surgery, two knee surgeries, rotator cuff surgery, hernia surgery, a stent put into my heart. I can't do the things I used to do. So what happens when it's taken away? It's amazing to me how we forget this though, because we put so much into these things that are passing away. We get our kids involved. It's not bad to be involved in things, but we get involved in so many things that our families don't even have time for the Lord. You know what it is? It's pride. And Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Another thing I got involved in, athletics and then alcohol. I escaped my insecurities through alcohol. Influences, people. I remember when I was invited to go with a bunch of guys out to go drinking. Hey, somebody asked me to go do something. And then I got plunged into that lifestyle. And I became a teenage alcoholic. And it began to destroy our life. And I have a strong opinion on that because I've seen the destruction from it. And I would ask you, you know, people will ask me, they'll say, Tim, what do you think about drinking? I hate it. That's my answer. I hate it. I hate it because I've seen what it does to people. I've seen what it did to me. And they say, well, do you think it's wrong biblically? I, I, I can't say that. I, what I say is it's wrong to be drunk. Proverbs 5, 15 to 18 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And people will say, well, it's, it's, the Bible says it's wrong. I mean, they drank wine in the Bible. How can you say it's wrong? And then I hear people with, it's dumb theology, by the way, the, the wine they drank in the Bible is different than the wine today. It is? Really? Were you there? It was alcohol. So what I'm telling you, though, is it, I, don't, I can't say that it's wrong to do that. I choose not to do it for the obvious reasons. But my question to us is when does drunkenness happen? And I believe that it happens when the mind is altered. And then the question is, when is the mind altered? And I find that with alcohol, people have a tendency to downplay. You know, they, they have a tendency to say they're, they're doing fine. I think the mind gets altered long before they are willing to recognize it. And it's a little bit of a trap. And I want you to know that the mind is the key to all of this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Alcohol affects the mind, and it, it causes us to not be able to think like we should. And so I'm just warning you, you need to be careful with this. Alcohol is dangerous, as is substance abuse. And then, of course, the third thing was marriage. I, I thought marriage would make me independent. The problem was I got married very young, and I brought alcohol and athletics into the, 
into that life and it, and it just all began to fall apart. So everything that defined me started to fall apart. Which leads me to the third thing. You are defined by who you are. You are defined by who you are. On August 31st of 1980, everything changed or began to change in my life and in our home. It was on August 31st of 1980 that because things were falling apart, we accepted an invitation to go to a church in Tulare. And I don't remember exactly what the pastor, what the sermon was that day. I don't remember a lot of what went on that day. I just knew everybody was happy. And I knew that the pastor was talking about this Jesus guy. And I had no idea who Jesus was. I walked up to the pastor after the, after the sermon that day, and I said, Pastor Vern, he died just a few weeks ago, by the way, a wonderful, godly man. And I said, Pastor Vern, I'm Tim Allen, and I'd like to know if you would come to my house tomorrow night and tell me about this Jesus guy. Man, if somebody asked me that question, I'd say, hey, let's go, let's go do it right now. But he said, yeah, I'll come by. And so on September 1st of 1980, it was the opening day of dove season, and I know that because I was out dove hunting and got home too late. And when I came in and Pastor Vern was sitting on the couch, I got the look. Not from Pastor Vern. And I deserved it. Did a lot of stupid things in, that day, in those days. But Pastor Vern says, Tim, why don't you sit down? And my wife was there with me at the time, but it was just as if it was Pastor Vern and me. That's the, I mean, I, I was totally unaware that Margie was there. And Pastor Vern asked me some questions. And he said, Tim, I'll never forget it. He said, Tim, do you know that you're a sinner? Oh, yeah. I knew that. There was no doubt in my mind. I was messing up everything, not only my life, but the life of people around me. He said, well, the scriptures say in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He, said, he then said, Tim, do you know that your sins separate you from God? And if you die in your sins, you will be condemned to an eternity in hell. I had enough church to know that. And I said, yes, I do know that. I believed in God. I believed there was a God. I believed there was a devil. I believed in a heaven. I believed there was the, in hell, and I knew I was going to it. Scared me to death, and so I said yes. And he says, well, the scriptures actually teach that, for the wages of sin is death. And then he said something that totally and complete me, completely caught me off guard. To you this morning, it might not seem like that big of a question, but it totally caught me off guard. He said, Tim, do you know that God loves you? And I was like shocked to hear that because I said, no, I did not know that. Because see, I didn't think anybody loved me. I had been so beaten down by my dad, I probably still struggle with that to some degree, but I didn't believe anybody loved me. And when he said, God loves you, he then quoted a passage, which I just want to encourage you. We, we, this passage is so common to us that we just kind of rattle it off. We don't even get it all right all the time. I've made that mistake myself. But to me that evening, that was like a cold drink of water, and I was, I was so thirsty. Uh, John 3.16, he said, Tim, God loves you. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And he said, Tim, you asked me about this, this Jesus guy. He was using my wording. He said, God Himself came to earth as a man, and His name was Jesus. That's who Jesus was. He was God, and He came to earth as Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And after the Scriptures say the wages of sin is death, in Romans 6.23, it goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he asked me the question that saved, that changed everything. He said, Tim, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you will believe and are justified and is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So he said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior? And I said, yes, I would. And it made all the sense in the world to me. I don't know that I understood it, but it made all the sense in the world to me. And so he said, Tim, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I wanted to know how to do that. He said, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I'm going to pray that, I'm going to pray that prayer again. And for right now, I'm going to ask you again to bow your heads and close your eyes. And... If you are here and you have never given your life to Jesus, you can do this right now. Maybe you're lost. If you're here and you know Jesus, as your head is down and your eyes are closed and I'm praying this prayer, maybe you could be praying for people in the room that you maybe don't even know that need Jesus, or you can be thanking God for what He's done for you in your life. Never grow tired of this prayer. So he said, Tim, bow your eyes, or bow your head and close your eyes. And he said, recite after me. He said, it's kind of like in a wedding. We give you the vows and you recite it. But he said, Tim, you're not praying to me. You're praying to the Lord, God himself. And he did this. Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I prayed, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. Lord, I know that my sins separate me from you and condemn me to an eternal life in hell. Lord, I know that I have, there's no way I can get out of my sin. Lord, I know there is no way that I can get out of my sin. Lord, I'm told that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I'm told that you died on the cross for my sins. Lord, please save me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I prayed that prayer, and if you prayed that prayer just now, or have prayed it in the past, I became a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. The seed of God was given to me. And I was a new person. That Tim who made all those mistakes was dead and gone, and I was now a new creation in Christ. After praying that prayer, Pastor Vern,
gave me three pieces of advice. He said, Tim, you need, you, you need to be baptized. You need to make it known that you are a believer. I said, okay, and we did. He said, Tim, you need to get your, you and your family in church to grow in your relationship to Jesus. And we did that. And we have stayed in church. My family has stayed in church ever since. Continuing to grow, which by the way, you never, get, you, never, you never know at all. You never get too old. You still need the Lord and His church and other people. And then he said, Tim, you need to dedicate your life to the work of the Lord because you belong to Him now. You don't belong to yourself anymore. And I have tried to do that, and I know many of you are trying to do that as well. What defines you? We all have roles we play in life. You're a man or a woman. You could be a husband or a wife. You could be a dad or a mom. You could be a business owner or an employee. You could be a relative or a friend. And each of those roles that you play ought to be lived out in light of who you are in Christ. Quite a few years ago, we were in Scotland, and I can see the picture. I can't tell you exactly where we're at, but I can see it in my head. I can see off in the distance this lake, and it was a cool morning, and there was like a fog, misty something or other kind of over the over the ground and we had walked into this cemetery which I know might sound a little strange but there's a lot of cemeteries in Scotland and there and a lot of really old ones and because they have family cemeteries not like what you have here and so we were in that cemetery and we were walking around and we were reading these gravestones and I walked upon one that I have never forgotten I've never forgotten it. I don't remember the name of the guy that was on the gravestone, but I read what they wrote on his gravestone. And they wrote, he faithfully lived his life for the Lord to the end. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. Isn't it what you want to do? I want to be defined by the Lord, not by all that other stuff that's out there. <clears throat> Would you stand, please? This is probably my favorite scripture. It's, it's, it's probably dangerous to say you have a favorite scripture. It's all good, but this is one of my favorites, and I think it's so defining. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you are not, were not a people, but you are now the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day.